Hello, my name is Larry Hiles. I'm the preaching minister at the Milford Church of Christ. Thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to this message. Please feel free to share it with friends. Also, if it's impacted your life in any way, reach out to us and let us know how. If you live in the Centerburg or Mount Vernon area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 3648 Johnstown Road in Centerburg, Ohio. We look forward to the opportunity of meeting you. So if you do have your Bibles with you, I hope you've already gotten them opened up to Ephesians 4. If maybe you got the uh, Version app on an electronic device, you can go to the events section. You can find the outline there as well. So we started a series of messages through this great letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And so before we dig into that, um, have you ever noticed that you are supposed to act like who you are? You're supposed to act like who you are. Like uh, the story of an 18-year-old Marine, Chuck. He was in the, tw- in the last week of his boot camp training, and he found himself climbing under some barbed wire fence with bullets, M60 bullets, flying what he thought was inches over his head, probably a little higher than that. And, and as he's crawling through there, he digs his hands into the clay. He begins to freeze up, and he stops moving. And just then, one of his friends comes by and says, Chuck, you're a Marine. Act like one. Get a hold of yourself. Do what you're supposed to do. So, so who Chuck is, a Marine, should affect how he acts. And, and when we think about the Christian life, there's much of that for us as well. Over the past few weeks in this great letter, we've been reminded of some truths from God's word in the book of Ephesus, like the uh, book of Ephesians. So we've been reminded that Jesus has brought peace with us and God together. This is that vertical relationship that we have with God. And not only did Jesus bring peace between God and man, he also brought peace between man and man. So we have the vertical aspect taken care of and the horizontal aspect taken care of. We've also been reminded that when we get grace, we give grace to others. That's the point of grace. Paul has declared in this great letter, right, that the manifold wisdom of God is found in the fact that we as the church are supposed to proclaim his message. And that message is proclaimed not just here, but even in the angelic realm through the body of Christ. These are things that we've learned. We've also been reminded that by the blood of Christ, we have this confident and bold access to approach the throne of grace and find help in our time of need. And, and so since we're followers of Christ, we need to act like it, right? So, so really, as we look at the next three chapters in the book of Ephesians, that's kind of Paul's message. You're a Christian. Act like one. You're a disciple. Act like one. Do what you're supposed to do. Remember, we already have those foundational verses from this great letter. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now look at the last part of that sentence, of that verse. Which God prepared for beforehand so that we would what? Walk in them so that we would act like it. So how do we live that out? And, and that's what Paul is really going to be doing in these last three chapters, is the how we live this out kind of section. And, and these first 16 verses of chapter 4, uh, Paul's really digging into the fact of unity, right? Uh, that we need to fight for unity in the body of Christ, that we need to use the gifts that God has given us for the body of Christ, and that we need to continue to grow in Christ so that the body of Christ will be built up. Now, we're going to focus on the first one of those today. And next week, we'll come back and focus on the other two. Uh, but here's the, uh, kind of the big point for us today. To live like a follower of Christ means that we'll fight for the unity of the body of Christ. 
To live like a follower of Christ means that we'll fight for the unity of the body of Christ. And in these first six verses, Paul gives us a challenge that we have to answer, right? And so that we live uh, for the sake of the mission. And here's the first thing we need to see, that we're united by our divine calling. We're united by our divine calling. Look again at verse one. Paul said, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. This therefore is Paul's way of saying you're a follower of Christ. Now act like one. Right? I've just laid out all of these truths to you. Now here's why you're supposed to live. Right? And Paul leans into a couple of things here. First, he, he leans into the fact that he's in prison. And so not only does he have the authority that comes from being an apostle, he has the authority that comes from somebody who's willing to pay the cost. All right? the, the bill is prison. I'll pay the cost. I'll go to prison for my faith. And so Paul, writing to them from this basis of authority, tells them that they're united by this divine calling and that they need to walk in a manner worthy of that calling, right? Do you ever come to a verse like that and just pause and push your Bible away and sit back and begin to think? Like, whoa. All right, because of all these things, right? Because I'm blessed, I'm redeemed, I'm called, I'm placed in a community of believers, all because I'm in Christ. Because of those things, now I'm supposed to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel or the calling that I've been given. Try for a moment to place yourself in a small house within the walls of Ephesus, right? There's an elder standing up in front of you and your family and maybe four to five other families. Maybe let's say there's about 30 people in this house. And, and this elder has read this great letter that Paul wrote to your church and he spelled out all of these blessings. And then he gets to this verse. Now it wasn't a verse for them like it is for us. Chapters and verse came much later, but he gets to this sentence and he says, because you're a follower of Christ, walk in a manner worthy. Who's he talking to? I think in our mindset today, we immediately, we make this an individual message, right? Paul's talking to me. He's pointing this out to me. But the fact is, is in their mindset, if we're listening through their ears, they're looking around this room, this house church that they have, and thinking about all the other house churches that are in their community, and they're realizing that Paul is talking to the church. He's talking to the church in this moment right here. And now, now it may sound like I'm talking in a bit of circles here for a moment, but, but bear with me. The fact is, is that we as a church, as the body of Christ here at Milford, we are not going to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that Jesus Christ has placed upon us until each of us as individual members take hold of what God has called for us. Paul's going to dig into that fact. We'll see that next week in verse 7. He says, but to each of you, to each of you has been given a gift, you know, so use it as what the message is going to be. But, but when we as individual members and followers that make up the body of Christ here at Milford, when we understand that as we each individually walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have been given from Christ, then collectively it'll be seen more through our, through our body here at Milford. So here's some realities. You don't have a mission. The church has a mission. The church has a mission, and you have a part to play in that mission for sure. So as I was thinking about this, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, one of the first questions that I kind of asked myself was, well, what's the calling? What's the calling that we have as followers of Christ? And the first thing I thought is to, to follow Jesus and become like him. The calling is to follow Jesus and become like him, each of us, 
right? Luke 6.40, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. I mean, that's the calling. You go to Romans chapter 8, and so many people want to dig in at Romans chapter 8. This verse won't be on the screen, but where it says that we've been predestined, but they leave out that next point. You know what the next point is from that verse? That we would be conformed to the image of his son. So, so part of the calling is that each of us as individuals, that, that we look more like Christ at the end of the day than at the beginning of the day. That we look more like Christ at the end of, week, of the week than at the beginning of the week. In fact, the reasons that we come together to worship, that we go to Bible studies, that we open up our Bibles, that we pray, should be for the reality that we as followers of Christ look more like him when we're done. So part of that calling is also to be a part of his church and to join the mission. We've already seen within this series that when Christ saves us, he puts us in a body of believers, a local church. There's no such thing in God's eyes as a Lone Ranger Christian. There's not. I know you've heard other preachers say that. Find it for me in the scriptures. It's not there. As a matter of fact, when you begin to see the pattern in the New Testament, you realize just how much we need the body of Christ for the mission of Christ. All the way back to the first chapter in John chapter 1, when Jesus began to call disciples, and then Philip went out and found Nathanael. Look at the wording, when he went out and found, uh, yeah, Nathanael, look at the wording that it says. We, we, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And, And when Jesus called Matthew to follow, what was the first step that Matthew took? Well, he left the tax collector booth and followed Jesus. But then the next step is he, he went and found all of his sinner friends and said, man, you guys have got to come and see this dude. You've got, you got to meet him. You've got to come and meet Jesus. When Peter preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was to the point, he said, you killed the Messiah, but God raised him from the dead. And when they were cut to the heart, the text says that they were baptized into Christ, 3,000 people that day. And then what happened next? Verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayers. It doesn't take long after that in the book of Acts to see persecution break out in the church and the church scattered. But when the church scattered, they also gathered and began to preach. They shared the gospel. You see, a part of the will of God for our lives, part of the calling of God for our lives is not only to become like Jesus, but to be a part of his body and to join the mission. The pattern was clear. Believe, follow, join, and go. That's for all of us, right? This is the part of the call, you know, that's part of the calling. And at this point, I think it would be important for us to inwardly ask the question, okay, how am I doing with this calling? How am I doing? And then after we ask that question individually, how are we doing as a a body of believers with this calling? To become like Christ, to be a part of the church, and, and to go on mission. I mean, because the mission, I think it's clear, right? And so I thought of some ways, maybe, some ways that we as individual members of the body of Christ here at Milford could be more intentional about sharing our faith. And, And let me share some of those with you. The first one is this, is share your testimony with others. Share your testimony. Share your God story with others. Because the fact is, is that people will refute your theology, but they can't refute your story. Because your story is your story. What was your life like before coming to Christ? 
What was the impetus or what was the reason you decided to confess Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life? What changes have been made in your life since that point? I think if we would all begin to be more intentional about sharing our stories instead of arguing our theology, don't hear what I'm not saying. Theology is important, but you can't get to theology until you get to Christ. And once you can get somebody to Christ, then you can begin to talk about theology. So share your story with people. Also, serve others for the sake of gaining a right to share the gospel. This is one of the ways that we can be more intentional about the mission. I'm reminded of our church down in Florida, Groveland. And we started a ministry there called Love Groveland. We just saw an update this week from that ministry. Uh, Since 2017, September of 2017, uh, the Groveland Church there has distributed 258,000 meals to low-income and homeless people in that area. And and you know how that ministry started? It started with me meeting with two... I I put their picture up a a few weeks ago with Brooke and Shannon McKinney and us meeting together and how can we make a difference for the sake of the gospel of Christ here in this community. And, And what we did is we said, okay, we started a food pantry. And what happened is uh, if you went to the grocery store and you needed one box of macaroni and cheese for you, could you buy two more for somebody else? And we built up this food pantry for that. And and God provided for that. And what was amazing through that ministry is that there were multiple times that we were able to look people in the eyes every Tuesday night with a hot meal and said, this is the reason why we do this. Because Jesus loves you. He died for you. He's given his life for you. Now will you accept him? you accept him. So, Harrison, will you walk downstairs and just make sure everything's all right down there? I'm sure it is. <laughs> so, uh, but he, he, lo- he loves you and he get, he's given his life for you. The reason why we put food on your table is this. I, I can remember taking a guy to get gas. He stopped by the church. And, and before I put the church credit card in there to get the gas, I looked at him and said, now I want you to know this is the reason why we're able to give you gas because Jesus died for the sins of the world and the people that gather together at this church understand that he loves everyone and we have this ministry here because God loves you and, and we can put gas in your tank for, for one trip but what you need is to have Jesus in your life forever. Would you like to talk about that? He said no. We still put the gas in his tank. You know, to serve others for the right to share the gospel. Next thing, share the gospel. Right? That's another aspect of this, to live a life in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received. Share the gospel. We need to stop assuming that people know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to begin to be more intentional about having gospel conversations with people. And this is why I believe what I believe. And this is what, what's taking place. And so friends, what we have to do is we have to be in this place where we become more intentional about sharing the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God has justified us freely through the grace that comes in Jesus Christ. He's redeemed us by becoming the propitiation for our sins. And he calls for all to put their faith in him. Will you do that? When you, friends, I mean, let's just think through this. How many of us have had that conversation once this year with someone? Just once. I mean, we need to. And the last thing is the low-hanging fruit here. Invite someone to church. I mean, that's the low-hanging fruit, right? It's invite them to church. Hey, I'm going to church this weekend. Do you want to join me? Or I'm part of a grow group. Do you want to join us in this grow group? Uh, So pray for opportunities within your grow groups to share the gospel with others. This should be a regular conversation in every Bible study you're a part of. Somewhere in that Bible study grow group, the question should be asked, hey, who are you talking to about Jesus? Who can we be praying about? 
Right? So, so to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling is to join the church and be a, a part of the mission. And, and we need to do that. So uh, when I first planned this series, I had planned that we were going to get through the first 16 verses. And, and I'm not so sure we shouldn't stop at this first verse and really keep digging in. Uh, so I'm going to do my best to keep plugging forward here. But, but to be worthy is to be faithful, right? And another aspect of being faithful that we should focus on is our chase after holiness. We need to chase holiness in our lives. Have you ever realized how easily we give ourselves excuses for sin? Right? It's, it's just me. I'm a human. That's just me. I struggle with eating too much pizza. Right? We can laugh about it. That's the socially acceptable one we laugh about. You know, but if we stand up and really talk about some of the sins we struggle with and we just give ourselves passes at times to be in that struggle, and man, but when I come to God's word to live a life in a manner worthy of the calling, I need to be serious about my sin, right? I need to be serious about the holiness that he calls for me to chase after. I mean, if I'm going to stand before God at some point in my life and there, there's going to be a, a, a bill to pay because of the life I've lived, am, am, am I ready to pay that bill? And the only way I'm ready is through Christ. But, but how have I followed? I was reading this week in Hebrews. And, and Hebrews is one of those books that, you know, I read it every year as part of my devotional reading. But, but every year I come to the same passage of Scripture. And every year I close up the Bible and I just think, man, how am I doing? Because the writer of Hebrews tells us we need to deal seriously with our sin. Look what he says in chapter 10, verses 26 through 29. He says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Ooh. Man. Gosh, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Look what he says next. How much more, how much worse punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as defiled the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has, insult, uh, and has insulted the Spirit of grace? Man, does that scare hell right into any of us? So, so if I'm going to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that I receive, then I, I've got to get serious about those sins that I make excuses for and jokes for and everything else. Because we have a divine calling that God has given us. Now, now please, I, I want to end on a positive note with this kind of thought because the verse won't be up on the screen, but the Bible's clear. If we're faithful to confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. You know, that promise is there. So let's chase after holiness and stop making excuses for our sin. So, and a thought here from this is this, is how can we make this happen? And, and it's, this is so simple. It's one of those things like, you know, we don't need more information. What we need is to apply the information that we have. And, and we've got a couple of verses in God's word that make this so simple that, that I think we forget it sometimes because it's like, well, that's too, too good to be true. It's not. It's, it's simple. How, how can we live a life worthy of the calling that we receive? It's simple. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit that He's given us. That's the reason the Holy Spirit's been given to us in the first place. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. We don't need a lot of commentary there, right? It's pretty straightforward. 
If we walk by the Spirit, if we're in the Spirit, then these things will be evident in our lives. And, and we could spend a lot of time talking about a few of those, but, but there's one I think is kind of missing in the body of Christ today, and in particular in our movement within the body of Christ today. And, and would you be able to guess which one I'm thinking? So, so self-discipline, I saw that. That's, that's the one that gets me in this list, right? When I'm reading it, like the fruit of the Spirit is self-discipline? I mean, that's not, that one gets me when I get there. But no, that's not, it's joy. It's joy. I mean, think about that for a moment. I got a good friend that once told me I need to smile more when I preach. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it's good. think about this, these things for a moment, right? We have the, the love of God in our lives because Jesus died upon the cross for our sins. We have the hope of heaven awaiting for us. We have new life that no one can take away from us, right? Nothing can take that love away from us. And if you look at, it as, at us as time, we, we walk around sober-faced and unhappy and, and really joyless. And we need to have this joy being expressed from us. I'm reminded of an account I read in Oz Guinness's book, The Great Quest. And I'm going to butcher the name. Uh, so his name was uh, Fodor Doskovsky. Uh, he was scheduled to be executed in St. Petersburg in 1849. And he discovered that he received uh, a reprieve from his execution. So he wrote his brother Mikhail a letter. And listen to what he said. He said, I cannot recall I was ever as happy as I was on that day. When I look back at my past and think how much time I wasted on nothing, how much time has been lost in futilities, errors, laziness, incapacity to live, and how little I appreciated it, how many times I sinned against my heart and my soul, then my heart bleeds. Life is a gift. Life is happiness. Every minute can be an eternity of happiness. And then there's this French phrase that's there, but just basically means this. If only the youth knew. And I got thinking about us as followers of Christ. We do know. We do know what Christ has forgiven us of. We do know the hope that we have waiting on us. We do know what his word has promised. You know, I, I know you've heard it before, the song that we get kids to sing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. You know, and, and, and I've heard people add to it, well, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face. Yes, and I'm guilty of that. So if there's one emotion that I think people should feel when they walk into the body of Christ, it should be that of joy. Joy should be felt. It should be seen. It should explode out of our hearts. It should be the thing that's oozing out of us that people come into contact with. Because you know what? They don't care about our theology until they see what our theology has done to us. Right? And we need to be joy-filled. That's part of living out the calling. So the next two points won't have as much time spent on them. We're united by our Christ-like conduct. We're united by our Christ-like conduct. Verses 2 and 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, be diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we're going to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, that means we need to be more Christ-like. We need to be Christ-like. And Paul is so consistent in his letters. Have you ever been reading through the Bible and you thought, man, I thought I've heard this already. I thought I heard this already. I thought he's already said these things. And here's the reason why. It's because they're important. And here's another reason why. It's because it's the Spirit. 
So often when we're reading through his word, the fruit of the spirit oozes out in so many other uh, points that he's making. And for unity to exist within the body of Christ, there's a great need for each member of the body of Christ to walk in humility toward one another. When, when Paul wrote these words to the church in Ephesus and to any church during that time frame, humility and gentleness were not qualities that people would want. In fact, the historian Josephus talks of a Roman emperor named Galba who the Praetorian Guard accused of being gentle and humble. And this, in fact, proved to be fatal for him because he didn't last. These weren't qualities that they admired at that point. And the same is true for our culture today. Our culture does not uh, admire humility and gentleness. We exalt uh, those that are, are, and we have this mindset that says you deserve it to treat yourself, take care of number one. But when you read God's word, God's word is so clear. It's so clear in so many places. And like in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, I won't read the whole thing, but it's going to be up on the screen. But basically, Paul says, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to. Or as we get to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, once again, I won't read them, but they'll be up on the screen. When, when Paul tells the church in Philippi that your attitude should be that is at Christ Jesus who though being the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to grasp or hold on to, but he emptied himself and he took the form of man. He humbled himself, took the form of man and became obedient, obedient to the point of death. And so when we think about this reality, if, if we're united by this idea that we're to have a Christ-like conduct, the first thing is that, man, we've got to empty ourselves of ourselves. We've got to empty ourselves of ourselves. It's not about me. It's not about us. And then Paul moves from humility to patience. And what the Bible's referring to here with patience is not kind of what we think of. Because what we think of is, is one of the next points of bearing with one another in love. But patience here is this mindset of, of having a strong conviction about your beliefs and holding on to that strong conviction even in the midst of persecution and suffering. And friends, this is something that we as a body of believers really haven't had to endure. But, but I, I think it's coming maybe in our lifetime. It's not our lifetime. Maybe uh, my grandkids' lifetime. But it's coming. And even in our world today, how are we going to stand up in our world today when, when a family member looks at you and says, well, well, you're one of those Christian nutcases that, that believe that marriage is between one man and one woman uh, and you're a bigot. How, how are you going to respond? The patience that God calls for is, us to, is to stand up in our convictions, but, but to do so not in anger, in, in love. To do so in love, right? How are you going to respond next June when your company decides they want to have a, a, a float in the pride parade downtown and they want you to be in charge of it? Well, that's not going to happen to me. Are you sure? You know, well, you have the conviction to be patient in your faith and, and allow the Lord to, to carry you through each of those struggles and trials. Right? This is what Paul's mentioning here. And, and so we have to understand, when Paul wrote to this young disciple, Timothy, uh, he, these, these were the mindset behind what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, when he tells him in those verses, like, just continue in what you've learned and what you've heard, and because all Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful. It's useful. Continue in those things, Timothy. And then he continued for him. And I am going to read these verses in chapter uh, 4, verses 1 through 5. 
I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his, in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their itching ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober-minded in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So when we walk in this humility and gentleness and patience, it will ultimately lead toward us bearing with one another in love. Right? And that's an idea that sounds fun, right? So, so we, we get the idea of bearing with, and we think of begrudgingly, like, oh, it's Larry again. Right? So you turn the other way when you see me in the grocery store. That's not what you're supposed to do. Right? You're supposed to bear with me in love. Right? And, and what that means is this idea that you love because that's what Christ has done for us. And from those character traits of the follower of Christ, in in the Legacy Standard Bible, it says, be diligent. In the ESV, it says, be eager to maintain. In the NIV, it says, make every effort. But here's what it means. It's to make every effort, be diligent. Do whatever you can do to keep the spirit of uh, unity and the bond of peace. Friends, is unity important to us? That's part of our Christ-like conduct that we're supposed to have. So how can we be diligent to keep the unity of, in, in the church? Well, make sure that our minor differences don't become huge divisions, right? Our minor differences over the kind of music that we sing, the attire of the preacher, what he's wearing, when Bible studies are going to take place. Are there going to be Bible studies at the church or are there going to be grow groups and homes? These are all minor things, right? We can also make sure what God's word teaches, we expect to be taught from our pulpits and our classrooms. That's where the responsibility falls upon you. You have a great responsibility every time somebody climbs these steps and and puts down their iPad or puts down their Bible and opens it up and begins to speak. Are they preaching God's word? You have a huge responsibility every time someone opens up a Bible study in a grow group to make sure that God's word is being taught from that standpoint. See, there's a, a very popular national preacher that's re- recently gone off the rails with homosexuality and marriage. In fact, his church is getting ready to host an LGBTQT-affirming workshop where he's going to put two men that are married to other men up in his pulpit and normalizing this. Friends, if, if that happens, that's where you as a church need to respond and hold that preacher and leader accountable. So we can make sure unity is based upon the word of God, which leads to this final point. Uh, We're united by a gospel confession. Look at verses four and six. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There are some that believe that what Paul was sharing here was a creedal statement that he was just repeating that the church had. And others say that, well, no, this became a creedal statement for the church after Paul wrote it. it, it that really is just a, an, doesn't, an argument that doesn't matter. Here's what matters. Is, did you notice the lists of one in there? There's one. One. Not many, but one. There's one body. 
We share a common existence in the church, and think about that for a moment. When God brings us together from our differing backgrounds and places, he places us into a body of believers. The Milford Church of Christ is not the body of Christ. We are a part of the body of Christ. Right? That, that, it's important that we grasp that. It's not the body of Christ. We are a part of the body of Christ, and we've got to live as, as such. Right Now, there are aspects of that that we've got to be careful, pointing back to what I just said. If a preacher gets up and starts preaching things that aren't God's word, that's where you guys get involved and hold them accountable. But there's one body, one body that we have. There's one spirit, the spirit of God that's placed within you the moment you believe is the same spirit that's placed in every other follower of Christ. And and God's Holy Spirit, here's what we've got to grasp. He's always going to lead to unity. He's always going to lead to unity. And I wonder sometimes if we don't allow the Spirit to work through us when those points of division begin to pop up, if we would just trust His Spirit's guidance in those moments and say, all right, Lord, what do you want us to do? And then God's Spirit's going to come in. All right, well, I'm going to bring unity. So will we trust Him? There's one hope, that we were who were formerly without hope in the world, but because of the great love with which He loved us, we now have hope. And what is this hope? What is it, friends? What's that one hope that we live with? Well, God's not finished with us. He who began a good work in us is going to be faithful to complete it. That's the hope. Part of the hope is this fact, that this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I'll raise Him up on the last day. That's the hope that we have. Part of the hope is found in the fact that, uh, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. That's part of the hope that we have there in Romans 8. After confessing Jesus to be the Messiah, Jesus responded, another part of this hope, and I say that you're Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That's the hope that we live with. Right? We have this one hope. So there's one Lord, and believers confess and proclaim, Jesus is the Christ, and I think we've lost the significance of the fact that when we confess Jesus Christ to be the Lord, that means everything else isn't. Everything else isn't. And we need to live in that truth. There's one faith, and, and this is the one that's kind of difficult, right? We, we talked about this a little bit in our Sunday school class this morning. What do you mean there's one faith? I, I, I put a 10-mile a, a radius around our address here at the church, and I was amazed at where that 10-mile radius went because it, it went right to the center of Johnstown, the, the, the crossroads there. It went right to the center of Utica, and it went right to the center of the Mount Vernon Square, and then it went over there into Morrill County where there's not much over there. Uh, so, but, <laughs> so all of these places, right? And then I got thinking in my mind, uh, like how many churches, and I wanted to try to find the churches, and there was, I'm, it's impossible. So I started thinking of the churches that I was aware of, and I quickly counted 30 churches in this area. So what do you mean, preacher? That's, that's one faith for all those churches? Partially, yes. So, so, so hear my heart in this, right? If all of us believe that all of man has fallen short of God's glory, Jesus Christ has died for our sin. Faith needs to be placed into him. That's part of that faith that we can stand on together, right? Now, there are parts of that that are different, As a church, we believe that a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ and they confess him to be the Lord of their lives. They repent of their sins. They submit to Christian baptism. They chase after holiness, 
right? And, and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Those, those are things that we believe. But that one faith that we've got to see and understand uh, is it's so crucial for us that that's what we're preaching and that's what we're proclaiming. I, I've already quoted there in Romans 3, 23 through 26 or paraphrased it. But, but friends, that's, that's that part of that one faith. There's one baptism, which always surprises me whenever you hear somebody talk about spirit baptism and water baptism, like they're two different things. Well, this refutes that right here. There's one baptism. One baptism. So that's into Christ. And there's one Father who is over all, through all, and in all. We're one. And now, there are, there are folks that we have this part of one big family with. And, and then we've got to grasp this reality that when we speak of the church, we need to speak well, speak well of the body of Christ. We do. We're going to have differing opinions with some folks. But we're united. We're united, friends by these important aspects in this gospel confession that we have in Christ. So did you notice that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all part of this statement of faith? They're all there. So, and unity is an important part of the church. And as a matter of fact, uh, when we look at what Jesus prayed, look at what he prayed at the, uh, just before his crucifixion. And I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but also for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you are, Father, and, and me, and I and you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And I, I just want to close, and, and let's remind you, this is part one of a two-part sermon, and so we're going to be finishing this off next week. But I, I want to close it just with this quick reminder. Did you notice the purpose of unity? The purpose of unity is for the mission that we've been left here with. And so, friends, I want us to leave here understanding those things that unite us, our divine calling, our Christ-like conduct, and, and the gospel confession that we have. And if we'll stand in those things, we'll act like Christians. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for this opportunity we've had to be here today to open up your word. Thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing in praise. Thank you for our time and communion, Lord, to remember the body and blood of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that we've had to, to bring back an offering to you of those things that you've blessed us with. And now, Lord, my prayer is for each of us in this room that we grasp of the calling that you've given us and that we focus in on that conduct that you've called for us to live by as followers of Christ and that we understand that we're galvanized, we're pulled together by a gospel confession, all, all for the sake of the mission that you've left us here with. So Lord, help us to, to act like Christians. Help us to do what we've been called to do. We love you. We praise you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. If you'd like to pray about anything, I'd love to meet you down in front. If you want to talk about giving your life to Christ, let's, let's get together and talk about that as well. Let's stand and sing together.